You're listening to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 45. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I continue to be Ryan Stevenson, filling in for Brian Humphrey. Indeed, and you have tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. That's right, that's right. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come on the show and present a story idea to us and to our esteemed guest host. Indeed, and then we lay it on the story-changing table. We unwrap its <laughs> dirty diaper, we powder it down and oil it up, and and give it a... I'm, I'm of course... Totally caught up in the in the parenthood experience with Brian Humphrey, currently doing exactly that with his own mm-hmm. newborn son. Uh, but unlike his son, at the end of our story ministrations, ministrations, ministrations. I think that's the word I was going for. I hope so. <laughs> we hopefully have teased from this raw, nascent idea that's so oh, so precious commodity, literary gold. That's right. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, Ryan, how have you been, my friend? It's it's it. And and may I say again, I didn't do this at the twenty minutes with recording, but thank you so much for for stepping in for Brian and being my wingman. Hey, this no has problem. been a delight, my friend. No problem. You know, it, it, his chair still has his ass prints, but it's starting to smell a bit like me <laughs> which which in case you're wondering is maple syrup and a distinct hint of cheap cigar cheap cigar back bacon and That's and right. toques or right? as my wife puts it apple cores and cigarette butts but it doesn't matter I mean. <laughs> is, that, is that the de facto canadian aromas <laughs> we all smell like that the whole place you cross over detroit and everyone what's that and really canada does get short shrift i mean there is this sort of broad generalization at least america has like the the new englanders and the southerners and the southwesterners and the blah blah you guys are all just canadian even though you've got more square footage oh uh, we no we've got that we just <laughs> you don't share it with the rest we, of us yeah we don't go to our neighbors and tell them about what our kids did let's put it that way if we're <laughs> leaning over the international picket fence we're just nodding as you guys tell us everything about what's going on in your neck of the woods <laughs> <laughs> and then we go back inside and tell british columbia and new brunswick to shut up gc <laughs> <laughs> and uh, right there there's there's a story in the offing that's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. But before before we we explore that picket fence and mm-hmm. and the the neighborly nature of of U.S. and Canada, let's 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 jeté back to Coolsville and uh, introduce our guest host, shall we? Let's do it. Our guest host, dear friends, uh, returns from his triumphant twenty minutes with segment, uh, author of Brave Men Run uh, uh, and successful Kickstarter for the sequel Pilgrimage, uh, uh, author of world building tales, crafter of exquisite uh, musical stories that are available on the internet even as we speak uh, uh, and consultant for the storytelling in all shapes and sizes please welcome back to the big chair Mr. Matthew Wayne Selznick Matt, thank woo indeed we'll we'll do a woo woo (laughs) (laughs) thank you man for coming back we appreciate you helping out working workshopping a story with us this evening this is going to be a blast yeah, I can't wait, and it's it's a pleasure to to have returned here. Indeed, uh, after, after so after these two days, <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, eh? Right That's there, right. we are. <laughs> uh, uh, 
Matthew, um, it, it's it's always a delight to have you on the show. And uh, the last time we had you on before the twenty minutes with was uh, promoting the the awesome pilgrimage Kickstarter, uh, uh, which wrapped up successfully. And so I cannot help but wonder now what what is coming up. What is on the the Matthew Wayne Selznick day planner for the next weeks and months? Do share, sir. Well, the uh, other than um, you know hustling to get clients and keeping my current clients happy, I'm I'm working hard on pilgrimage so that the hundred and seventy odd people who pledged to see that book happen are are happy and satisfied. Um, shooting to um, hopefully have the first draft wrapped up. Ooh, it's looking like early December now. Um, wow, and. Uh, and just plugging through on that, you know, uh, I've been in discussion with my uh, cover artist, the wonderful Neil Von Flew, and we've got some ideas that he's uh, starting to sketch on for not just the cover for Pilgrimage, but also a new companion cover to Brave Men Run, so that the books really do look like they are uh, two peas in a pod and two Excellent. parts of a whole. So I'm very excited about that. And, um, and in the meantime, I've been, uh, you know, tinkering here or there. I've uh, I've launched a new uh, community website. Yes, <laughs> indieauthormarketing.info, where independent self-published authors and uh, folks who provide services to self-published authors can come and share marketing advice and best practices, and and also just sort of hang out. Um, so that's a, a new community, um, very much just a borning. <laughs> trying to trying to keep things alive over there and a and morning <laughs> you're making shit up as you go yeah <laughs> you better believe it right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's brilliant though that's that, i mean that's that's an invaluable resource i mean with with so many authors mm. coming to the table now with their stories with so many questions about indie indie pub and self pub what do i do how do i go about it oh. how how is that community shaping up matt uh, slowly but surely, we've got a few, uh, a handful of, of, of members who have uh, thankfully kind of taken it upon themselves to to keep things moving and posting, and, and uh, folks sign up, uh, you know, new folks every day, as is with any community, you know, you end up with uh, maybe 5 to 10% of the, of the members contributing most of the material. Um, and since it is early days, you know, I, uh, things are a bit thin over there, but the more people who, uh, sign up and contribute, the more active it becomes. Uh, I have plans to also make it a hub for, you know, more evergreen resources. I'll be writing some, uh, blog series on, uh, on some of the basics, uh, you know, in, with, when it comes to internet marketing and, and especially as it pertains to authors, self-publishers. Sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's a uh, slow and steady wins the race kind of thing. But I do encourage, certainly, people to uh, head on over to IndieAuthorMarketing.info and uh, sign up for free and introduce yourself. And please post and respond to the posts that are there. And Is there an opportunity for, for someone with a question to be able to pose that to the community? That's the whole idea. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, friends, if you've got, if you've got a book in your hands and you're thinking – you know, I sh- I want to I want to self do I want to do this I want to do this I want to e-pub it I want to self-pub it I want to indie it. The place to go is indieauthormarketing.info. We'll make sure that link gets in the liner notes. Thank you. Um, what about uh, conferences or cons? Do you do you attend cons at all, Matt? 
Uh, you know, it, it's it's been many years since I have. Uh, it's it's the sort of thing that um, most of them tend to happen across the country from me. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So it's it's uh, you know the cost of staying and living <laughs> at the uh, at the con is usually prohibitive. Um, and you know, I, uh, as wonderful as I think I am, I'm not at the point. Where <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, I haven't been a guest at a con since 2007, but, uh, you know, local ones I do try to, to get to now and then. Okay. I'm in Southern California for folks who don't know. Yes, yes, in, in Long Beach, right? Yes, correct. Excellent, excellent. Not not to give any stalkers any specific localizations, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so, well, thank you, Matt. We will make sure that all of that awesomeness gets into the liner notes and uh, 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 so that all of our listeners can, can tune in and consume all the goodness that is Matthew Wayne Selznick. Uh, but for right now, gentlemen, here's my proposal. I suggest that we take a brief pause, uh, share a bit of precious Podosphere airtime with another awesome podcast or, or newly released ebook uh, or awesome Kickstarter program, which they seem to be coming more and more frequently, which is fabulous. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we return... I say we workshop a story. What say you? I second that motion. Oh, do I hear a third? Spiffy. Hey, see, there it is. Awesome. <laughs> Done, friends. The vote has carried. You stay where you are. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Stop hiding behind that sofa. Come out from back there. Your sofa wants to talk to you. Wants to play footsie with your mind. Listen to it. Relax. Let it in. Starship Sofa. The first podcast ever to win a Hugo Award. With weekly stories from the world's best authors. Michael Moorcock, Peter Watts, Joe Haldeman, Peter F. Hamilton, and many, many, many more. With news and reviews and interviews. Bradbury, Pohl, Wolf. And Mievel, the sofas chewed the fat with them all. Facts and fictions, articles and particles. Oh, why aren't you listening? StarshipSofa.com Your best science fictional fix this side of the coffee table. All right, and now, without another moment of hesitation, it's time for us all to jam ourselves into the mid-sized sedan of awesome, adjust our seats and reposition the, the mirrors of creativity, check our mirrors uh, and see, uh, are we ready to go here? And then when we're ready to go, we need a driver to help us in our modern, sleek, and yet 39 per mile gallon respectable gas mileage awesome mobile to hit the streets. Dave, who is driving this poorly described sedan oh no i love the fact that the round table gets 39 miles to the gallon hey, that's, that's awesome that's yeah, excellent hey. mileage yeah. uh, <laughs> i don't even know what a mile is i'm going to assume that's good I well let, let's let's drop a let's drop a white white snake cassette into the into the set player <laughs> and and crank it up to 10 because our guest writer is a man of diverse and unique talents not unlike our guest host uh, he's best known to the world of science fiction for his contributions to the Hugo Award-winning podcast Starship Sofa as a guest commentator, reviewer of books and graphic novels, narrator, and songwriter. His latest role, however, is that of assistant editor of the Protecting Project Pulp podcast, of which 
I Am the Host, uh, which is awesome. Uh, his sci-fi songs include Earth Girl, Abraham Lincoln Was an Invader from Space, and the jazz chamber opera, They're Made Out of Meat, a setting of the story by Terry Bisson. His, this is straight up true, man. His choral awesome. compositions have been performed by the San Francisco choral artists, the Ann Arbor Cantata Singers, and the Vocal Arts Ensemble of Ann Arbor. So I'm actually expecting him to burst into song with his story story summary. Uh, please welcome to the narrow but no less comfy chair for the guest writer of this episode, Mr. Fred Heimbaugh. Fred Dude, it's never easy to put your story up for discussion, and we are so grateful that you did, sir. Thank you. Dave, thank you for that welcome. You are most welcome. You're welcome for the welcome. There we go. I I feel welcome. (laughs) Good. That's the idea. Well, feel free to top off your drink. And, uh, uh, dude, you you have, uh, uh, as I mentioned, a very diverse skill set. Where does the, the music composition come from? I have a couple of music degrees, actually, and uh, and then I uh, ended up making a living as a programmer. But um, my mother started me on piano when I was five years old. Oh, wow. Five, and, five uh, years old? Wow. Yeah. Damn, son. Yeah. So she, she, it was basically, I'm, I'm, you know, fulfilling her dreams, basically. <laughs> but where did the, then where did the writing and the love of science fiction come from? You know, I started listening to uh, Starship Sofa, and ah, I started okay. sending. I was one of the first, and um, I started writing them an email after I I listened to each episode. And uh, starting with episode six, they started reading my emails every week, <laughs> and I became you know the mascot of the show, kind of like the the, no, the number one member of the fan club, and uh, eventually Tony. Let me onto the show in various capacities, and at some point, the bizarre thought entered my mind. You know, may- maybe I should get try uh, writing fiction. I always assumed, actually, that it would be impossible for me to learn how to create characters, and that's what held me back. Mm. My experience actually is that plot is harder. Okay, but um, yeah. I guess that's what we're going to find out. Tonight. I was going to say you you've brought a story for workshopping, so so let's get on to that. Yeah, um, Fred, we're going to give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title, the genre, uh, the format, whether it's going to be a novel or a short story or an audio drama or, or a jazz chamber opera, uh, <laughs> and uh, introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us a brief story summary, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. So, sir, the mic is all yours. Thank you, and believe me, there's nothing chamber about this project. <laughs> This is Cold Warriors. It's going to be a science fiction novel or series of novels. The elevator pitch is that uh, it's Ronald Reagan in an Iron Man suit. (laughs) And the setting is the Cold War as it occurs in an alternate world, just different enough from our own uh, to make everything ten times cooler. There's better technology and more overt spiritual forces. Uh, My summary for the main plot is this. When an idealistic Mikhail Gorbachev is poisoned by a mind-expanding drug, he must break its power over him to prevent the evil architect, Le Futur, that's the future, from using it to gain godlike power. 
The protagonist is uh, Gorbachev, whose youthful idealism was perverted by exposure to a mind-controlling drug which scars his forehead and turns him into a dedicated tool to the communist system. Surrounded by cynics, he is the, quote, last believing communist, unquote. And the theme is that idealism must be subordinated to a worthy cause, else true believers become tools of power-hungry cynics. Now, my subplot, or possibly this should be the main plot, plot uh, depending on what your advice is, goes like this. When freedom-loving leaders Reagan, Thatcher, and John Paul II learn of the threat posed by a Soviet space station, they personally marshal their technology to prevent a Soviet missile attack from destroying Western civilization. Uh, the protagonists are uh, the threesome of Reagan, Thatcher, and the Pope, who must muster unconventional high-tech weapons and spiritual power to fight Soviet missiles and the demonic forces behind them, which seek to subjugate the world. And the theme there, then, is that the cause of freedom is surprisingly controversial, and those defending it will find themselves with many enemies. The bad guys, we've got this architect Le Futur, who wants to supplant the creator as the architect of a new perfect world. And the second one is the Soviet Empire itself, which crushes the human spirit, turning people into mindless drones. And it is personified by Chernobog, the Russian goddess of darkness. All right, here's the timeline. Starting in 1941, the Nazis invade Russia and discover a secret laboratory where rogue Russian scientists develop an elixir to create the new Soviet man. They are led by the evil architect Le Futur. The Nazis destroy the lab, but someone pours a partial dose of the elixir on the head of 10-year-old Mikhail Gorbachev, which leaves a mark. Uh, another oversized dose ends up in the hands of Stalin. Later on, Pope John XXIII is elected Pope, and he reads the fourth secret of Fatima, which comes from the Marian apparition uh, in Portugal. Uh, he weeps for three days, and others who read the fourth secret commit suicide. So it is locked up in a box and entrusted to the saintly Father Burenkov, who was blinded and his hands cut off by Soviet torturers. Meanwhile, uh, a little later on, Margaret Thatcher rebuilds a Victorian airship, and she's wearing welding goggles and a leather apron when she breaks up a riot with a brick inside her purse, and therefore her career as a costume vigilante begins. In 1978, Pope John Paul I is elected and reads the fourth secret. Uh, the parchment is a grid of letters. It's essentially a word puzzle. A few days later, he dies, and the parchment is clutched in his cold, dead hands. Later the same year, Pope John Paul II is elected. He reads the secret alone. He is overheard saying the words, Oh, it's you. 1980, Gorbachev is shown a cavern underneath the... He's joining the Politburo at this point, and he's shown a cavern underneath the tomb of Lenin, where the monstrous body of Stalin consumes grain and human bodies for food. 1981, President Reagan tours a secret military laboratory inside the Rushmore Monument. An accident causes Reagan's nervous system to be bonded to a prototype of a human-piloted projectile, the smart bullet. Meanwhile, Thatcher offers a top UK scientist to clone Reagan so that will solve the problem of who will pilot the smart bullets. 
Gorbachev, meanwhile, is building and launching Solyaris, a space station. The Soviet economy falls apart. Grain shortages prompt giant Stalin to rampage through Moscow. 1989. Gorbachev pilots Solyaris personally to launch its missiles. Reagan discovers a spy has murdered all his clones. So he sends in the space marines, but they are also killed. Thatcher, meanwhile, personally commandeers the airship to mount a defense of her country. Gorbachev goes mad and launches the first missile. Reagan pilots a smart bullet and destroys the missile, but there are hundreds more coming in. Reagan launches the smart bullet again, holding a ray gun. I should say he's piloting the smart bullet. And he learns to use the ray gun as a propulsion device. And by this method, he intercepts and destroys all the missiles but one. Thatcher crashes into the last missile with her airship. And her body is flung free. Gorbachev saves Thatcher and crash lands at Assisi in Italy. Reagan hotly pursues them. In the Cathedral of St. Francis, Thatcher, Reagan, and the Pope are paralyzed by an energy field by Father Burenkoff, who is revealed to be none other than Le Futur. He plucked out his own eyes and had Stalin cut off his hands to adopt the persona of Father Burenkoff. He explains that he is the other half of Gorbachev's dose of the elixir. He wants the powers of the fourth secret. Le Futur bites Gorbachev's birthmark, sucking the elixir out of him, and with a full dose of the elixir at last in his body, he has godlike power. The fourth secret was a forgery created by Le Futur. He shows them the true fourth secret. It has only the words pacem in terris written on it hundreds of times. That's my uh, one tin soldier ending right there. <laughs> okay. He attacks the Pope, but his fatal knife thrust is diverted into his own heart when he is tripped by the now fully rational Gorbachev. The Pope unfolds the true parchment and steps back until the others see the lines of writing resolve themselves into a portrait of Mikhail Gorbachev. In 2006, we have the epilogue. Thatcher joins Gorbachev and um, others at the top of Mount Rushmore to unveil a carving of Reagan's head in the monument. (laughs) Suffering from dementia, Thatcher confesses her love to Gorbachev, thinking him to be Reagan. Gorbachev plays along and tells her, I love you. The end? The end. (laughs) Oh, well, then um, um, a formation of fighter jets fly out of the mouths of the five presidents. Of course, of, of course of there Russia. is. Of course and there, there are fireworks. Is. Oh my God, uh, Fred, <laughs> holy crap. Um, awesome, excellence, well done. Uh, uh, good, good, good story pitch. Um, I am really intrigued to see what our team of crack workshoppers does with this. Uh, but before we dive into that, Ryan, would you be so kind as to please, oh, please cover our ass? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm covering it big on this one. This is going to be a tricky <laughs> one. Um, we are going to be assembling an orchestra of ideas here for you to use the music metaphor just a little more. Please. Uh, you are at your leisure to discard them or consider them all crap. This is your work. It is not ours. So anything we offer to you is uh, at your discretion whether or not you choose to use that. Do you understand that, Fred? 
I understand completely. You are the man. Excellent. Excellent. All right. It is our custom to take a quick trip around the table, uh, give first impressions and ask questions of clarification uh, in preparation for the full on uh, uh, body slam jazz combo orchestra that is the workshop. Uh, and we defer always to our guest host for this. So, uh, Matthew Wayne Selznick, what were your first impressions of Fred's story and what questions of clarification do you have? Um, wow. Let's see. Um, well, first of all, it sounds like a, uh, a sort of a pulp meets Douglas Adams kind of, uh, kind of thing, which is a fun, a fun flavor. Uh, I really, uh, kind of feeling a lot of different influences and, and sort of cross genre pollination happening, which is, it, it sounds like, it, you know, it could be a very fun mash, <laughs> <laughs> mash and mash up uh, clarifications that I might need. Um, nothing really. I mean, I think that the, uh, the, the wacky world as defined is, is, is pretty, you know, consistent. There are so many fantastic elements in it that, you know, I'm assuming that the idea is to be taken, you know, metaphorically and, uh, you know, in that sort of Douglas Adams ramp, you know, kind of romp kind of thing. No, so, Matthew, uh, my, my historical research shows that this is exactly the way it happens. It's impeccable. <laughs> yeah, and I also like the, the, the injection of, of the Dan Brown, uh, you know, Catholic mythology kind of thing in there, too, just just to round it all out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Every, every freaking conspiracy we can possibly work in. Yes, one more. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Cool. Ryan, uh, uh, your first impressions and any questions that you have? I, I know I'm going to have questions. I'm rereading the notes because I want to make <laughs> sure I got that. So, uh, yeah, I am going to ask a lot of questions about the fourth secret part because um, uh, I'm not entirely sure that I get it. First of all, as a general thing, wow. That's that's probably the most <laughs> unique pitch I've ever heard on this show, and I've only been on this one a couple times. And I mean that as a compliment. I think that this is one of those rare examples where no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't say, oh, this sounds like, eh. Nope. <laughs> this doesn't sound like nothing, and that's good. That is good for you, man. So well done on that. Yeah, i got to reread these notes. I need to understand this better. I, I'm going to have questions. I think a lot of it's going to be about, well, here's, here's a general question for you, if you don't mind. Given that pretty much every character you mentioned is an existing historical figure. Are you planning on kind of keeping a tone of them that I would expect to someone who doesn't really know these people, obviously? Or, or are they just going to be fantastical from beginning to end? I say that because you started out by saying that this is Ronald Reagan in an Iron Man suit. And so immediately I start doing my bad Ronald Reagan impersonation in an Iron Man suit. Is that what I should expect? Or should I expect this to not be the Ronald Reagan I would expect it to be, if that makes sense? I am trying to hew to the emotional core of each character, uh, of of the historical characters. So, um, with with uh, the view uh, from history, right? Yeah. Well, I I don't know what that means. Well, uh, 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 when I say view from history, it's like there's a whole generation of people that weren't born when Ronald Reagan existed uh, and don't have that firsthand experience of him and only know about him through hearsay, what the what 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 their grandfather talks about, uh, uh, and and second and third hand sources, so there's almost an iconic mythic uh, uh, quality to both Thatcher and Reagan yes. and the Pope. I I'm daring to go scratch beneath the surface, and maybe that's just too much to do on something that is just so incredibly silly. <laughs> uh, but I have I spent 
two and a half years researching this, mm-hmm. which is really kind of sad. Now that <laughs> I say that out loud, but um, I, I do want to really uh, express, like I said, the emotional core and the true motivations. What Reagan would have been like if he had lived in this universe that I described. Okay. But, but the same person, same genes, yeah, same and that's, upbringing. That's what I'm gunning for here. And I only say that because, you know, there's that old euphemism we all talk about, about fantasy tropes and things like that. And this is no different, really, if it, if it walks like a Reagan and it talks like a Reagan. <laughs> it's it's <Yeah>. a Reagan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, for myself, Fred, uh, uh, yes, I, I, I must echo. And Matt, thank you for the Douglas Adams reference. That, that suddenly made things click a little more clearly in my head as far as how this all can be brought together. Um, just delightful, the notion of Thatcher as a masked vigilante, uh, Reagan as in an Iron Man suit. Uh, one thing I noticed that we didn't actually have is the Pope receiving the same uh, uh, irreverent treatment or, or iconic or, or trope treatment that, that Thatcher and Reagan did, that he's not, uh, uh, actually, I guess he might, well, I don't know, we might explore this, but a master of the mystical arts, who knows? Uh, uh, but there's, there's, he, he seemed to got short shrift in terms of the treatment yeah. that you've given the other two. Um, yeah, the, 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 what I described sort of reflects that. You know, there are over a billion Catholics in the world, and uh, no, there are not that many, so I guess I can say anything about him that I want. I was going to say, if this is literature, <laughs> welcome <laughs> welcome to the pulpit, um, sir. The, the Pope is not really a protagonist. He's more of the wise, the wise spirit guide, and he acts a little bit here and there. Okay. And, and, cast, and his papal palace where a lot of the action takes place. Um, it's, got, it's tricked out with some really cool technology, actually, too. But, um, <laughs> so he's like S.H.I.E.L.D. He's like Nick Fury. Um, yeah, I got, no, well, he's like Obi-Wan. Okay. Kenobi, really. And it, so he, you know, um, so, so the outline, as I read it, really does reflect that. He is more of the working behind the scenes. He, at one point, he appears to Margaret Thatcher as a, uh, Polish laborer hitchhiking. She picks him up. He gives her some words of advice. She turns her head, and he's sitting in the back seat. And then suddenly he's disappeared. And based <laughs> okay. on his, the things he say, that causes her to make some decisions. And little okay. scenes like that. All right, are, will be sprinkled in. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So um, concerns that I have that I'm hoping we can address in the workshop is. This, this seems at this point like a series of disjointed flashes of newsreels, and I'm, I'm not getting a sense of story or character arc from what's happening here. I, 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 I'm not getting a sense of, of what transformations these characters are undergo, if any, uh, uh, and, and where a sense of cohesion, I think, is lacking. And I think that maybe through the discussion we can adhere that. The one question I have, Fred, is... Uh, and, and I mean this in all seriousness. Why do you want, why is this story important to you? What is the relevance and importance of this to you? I love the history of the Cold War, and um, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by the people. Um, you know, uh, Reagan is famously hard to understand. His biographers have all sort of come away saying, you know, I studied this person for years. and didn't, well, Yeah, okay. Didn't. All right. And I feel the same way. I think ultimately, I, I decided Gorbachev ought, ought to be the 
protagonist because he mm-hmm. has the arc. And I'm not sure it came out in my summary, but um, he, the, the, the moment he decides to save Thatcher is the turning point where he it begins to uh, act on his own. Okay. Uh, I am a little disturbed that that is happening kind of late. Yeah, that's, that's like and we might have late act two. Yeah, yeah, yeah because so it, it, that's what it, needs fixing. I think he does. He does really. Uh, I mean, as described, um, it does. Yeah, it doesn't feel like Gorbachev is the uh, is the protagonist. Uh, mm-hmm. As described, it's much more that Ronald Reagan is the protagonist, yeah. or perhaps the Pope, frankly, who seems to be. Um, you know, especially since you mentioned the sort of backseat driver, literally kind of thing. Um, he, uh, he seems to be, uh, is it, is it correct that he's sort of manipulating the entire, uh, generations long adventure? That's the hint. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And you don't always see it, but it's hint. And, sure. and, that, and that's because of the, the, the Fatima prophecy that ends up being a picture of yeah. Mikhail Gorbachev. I, you know, as it is now, the Fatima is kind of a, a big, fat red herring, you know, because that whole picture, I mean, what does that even mean? Uh, that would all be explained, obviously, to people who are not familiar with it. But um, the bottom line is that um, what it's really saying is Gorbachev is going to save the world by preventing uh, Le Futur from, uh, he's going to... From, yeah. from unleashing Cause, a giant man-eating Stalin upon the world and, and consuming the power of, of this poison that, that was delivered early in the story. Yeah, yeah but, so, but what so, you're uh, getting at is really a weakness, and that's okay. what I want to okay. discuss. Let's hang on to that for a second, because I want to make sure I understand that. I've got to almost reiterate it so I get it. Um, Le Fortour, he knew that, or he hid that, um, that document early in the right. story, well before. Right. So... Doesn't that presume that he saw that document, that he saw that Gorbachev was the, was the document, for lack of a better no, word? No, and, and he, you see, he's blinded, but he has cyborg eyes that nobody knows about. So he's been, he's been studying. Us. <laughs> Including us, apparently. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I, which I, I, you know, I just was cutting this way down. You know? Oh, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, they sure. are important. So he's studying that document at the molecular level. Okay. So he's he's almost literally missing the forest for the yeah. trees. Okay, okay, so he does, and that's that was my question because I got the impression that if he had that document, then he'd therefore be aware of its contents. Vis-a-vis, it wouldn't make much sense for him to be doing anything short of trying to kill Gorbachev or get rid of him. Right. So he okay. completely completely misses that. Gotcha. And Matt, that's kind of sad that you know you you figured that out at the very very end. It's suddenly all this is revealed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Matt, what about this story do you want to dive into first? What, what, what's calling to you uh, uh, most profoundly that, that do you think needs our attention? Well, I, I guess first of all is a question of the tone that, uh, that you're shooting for, Fred, is, is in the overall feel, is this a romp? Is it, you know, lighthearted? Uh, are you looking to, you know, have all this sort of absurdity happening, but have a, a serious tone, which would just add to the, you know, the surrealism of the whole thing. Um, you know, is it more uh, Rudy Rucker or Dick, you know, Doug Adams? What's your, what's your target? It's Doug Adams, but it's obsessively researched Doug Adams. Okay. Considering I mean, that research, yeah. that, that kind of leads into my other, other thought. So it's Doug Adams, so it's, it's, it's you know, silly, uh, not, not to be derogatory about it, but, you know, literally silly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but as you said, with this this uh, you know sort of well-researched background, um, well-researched in terms of the real-world history. Um, but for example, I'm I'm there's some things that are obviously very very different in this world. Um, for example, the tech level. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, what has happened in this world that, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan, as, as a 70-year-old man, can even pilot a, uh, <laughs> a, a flying suit? And, um, you know, is, is that sort of a sacrifice of reality to, to, to continue with the, the absurdity and, and continue to, you know, sort of have these human symbols running around? Well, and to uh, layer in on that, also the notion that there's an old airship, which kind of implies that the history of the world was steampunkish because there weren't airships, were there? Yeah. It, it, again, is that just local color? <laughs> well, <laughs> it, some thought to that. it speaks to the, the idea that th- things are hanging by a thread in the UK at this point. And so uh, Thatcher simply doesn't have the shiny toys that Reagan has available to him. And so she so it's a metaphor do. for their backwards tech. Yeah, they're just the declining power, and the United States is has it all at this point. Okay, uh, but mm-hmm. the Soviet Union obviously can compete by by sacrificing uh, its own economy well, with its space station. Okay, let me let me put out there. Let's 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 focus on our primary protagonist, which is which is Mikhail Gorbachev, and see if maybe we can tease out some of those world elements by exploring him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, how is he working, you guys, as as a as a protag for you? Give he's me- not. I need more of an arc to understand that. Yeah, ditto. He's not. Uh, he is not the protagonist. He's as he stands right now. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, the only thing that he seems to do active in the story. Other than you know, act as an unwitting or unwilling bad guy, mm-hmm. um, is is trip <laughs> trip the real bad guy and and sort of accidentally cause his death or apparently accidentally. There's not enough uh, pro in his tag, um, right? Because he spends yeah. the first mm-hmm. half of the book under the influence of a poison that makes him a madman. So we're not going to have a lot of opportunities, Fred, to to develop sympathy and to be rooting for him. Because his his actions are all going to be nefarious. Yes. Unless. Unless. Um, we have a window into the real Mickey. Um, Mickey, really? Mickey. <laughs> you know, how much time do we have? I got to take shortcuts. Okay, good, good. <laughs> um, if we have a window into who he really is, and 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 the man who is striving to come out. Um, perhaps through some uh, flashbacky subplot or something. Um, you know, I don't know how mm-hmm. complex you want to make this, but uh, yeah, we need to feel, uh, we need to cringe every time we see him doing something bad and nasty because we know there's a good man inside there. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, the goddess, I've located her on the moon. That means that when the moon comes out, he, it's, it's basically a werewolf. He, he, become, he goes crazy, and then he has his more lucid moments. Um, there's this whole scene where he decides to try to rescue the Soviet economy by he demands more control, literally setting up a series of levers and dials in his office 
to issue instructions on uh, grain supply and shipping and um, um, you know how many um, how many turnips and how many cabbages and all this stuff. He keeps adding more and dials and levers until he he's uh, in this marathon session of lever pulling and he collapses in exhaustion. Um, and and that's it, incidents like that indicate that's that he, when he's crazy. I'm sorry. That's something that happens while he's under the influence of the. Well, no, I think that's. Oh. I think of that more as as him. This is the idealistic boy trying to make the system, realizing the system has flaws, but trying to uh, rescue it. That's the way I think of it, whether it's clear or not. Let me, let me tell you how that comes across. It comes across as a man who is desperate to maintain control himself and isn't allowing the system to... Uh, to roll, you know, he, rather than putting the dominoes in place, he's, he's you know, building them and, and making them fall all on his own. Um, that's why I asked, because it sounded like the, the behavior that he would have as the crazy Mikhail, um, you know, because it's so, I mean, think of the image that you've, you've, you've created. It, it's, it's a man in an office with innumerable levers that he's trying to control an entire country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With you know, um, it's crazy and desperate. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much, and it, and it bespeaks uh, of someone who who doesn't trust anyone else uh, or anything else to work um, if he doesn't have a hand in it. Mm-hmm. So, it's a character note that maybe you can use, or or maybe it needs adjusting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ryan, did you have something? Uh, well, a couple things popped out of that, but I still feel like I'm just trying to to get some literals here. And I, I you know, having been through this process myself on on your end of the mic, I, Fred, I certainly understand how you got to water a lot of it down to to fit it into those four minutes. And I'm certain with a story like this, <laughs> there's a lot of things here that that we're going to ask you that you you've already considered. Um, real quick, real real quick, mm-hmm. uh, you just mentioned the I can't remember her name because I couldn't write it down in time. Sure, the, the, uh, the goddess, yes. And you said she's located on the moon, so she she does figure into this story beyond being that red herring on the on the document. Um, yeah, that- they visit her. They consult her. For example, uh, the Politburo gets permission from her to promote Gorbachev to the Politburo. So you sorry, see who, who's they? Sorry, the, the members of the Politburo. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Yep, gotcha. get her permission when they they're making major decisions. And at the end, I think there will be a scene where uh, the three amigos confront her, and you'll see uh, the Pope using his papal ring to uh, to shooting rays, magic rays from his ring. And, and um, but she is not destroyed; she is merely neutralized temporarily. The well, the is- idea is eventually the forces of tyranny will always uh, come back. All right, that's, and that's fair. I, I, and that's part of what I'm looking at. I know we've talked a bit here about who is really the protagonist. That's a huge question. I think it will eventually color the discussion about who is the antagonist, honestly, and are there more than one. Uh, and that's why I ask. I've gotten, in quotes here, giant Stalin rampages through Moscow, because that's an awesome line. <laughs> and, uh, and I think to myself, okay, you can't, you can't say Stalin, in my opinion, you can't say Stalin is an antagonist because he's really just nothing more than a physical threat. He's no different than a tractor rampaging across a cornfield at that point. Right, right. Um, so that's why I asked about this character. Now, beyond um, 
Beyond Le, Le Futur. I'm trying not to go all French on you here. Because uh, <laughs> you are Canadian. <laughs> I'm Canadian, so I speak it, yeah. Uh, who else did you think could fill the role of antagonist, or is he really the only one? Well, I was talking about uh, the Soviet system itself, as personified by Chernobog. Okay. I know it's, uh, it's tricky to have an impersonal force as, uh, as an enemy, but people have yeah. done it. But. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I applaud that, but if that's going to be the case, then I think we need to start discussing how they really factor into the grand scheme of things, because I, I didn't get a sense of how they did. Le, Le Futur is easy. You know, like how he factors into this is, is readily apparent at the end, mm -hmm. but I don't see that with anyone else. Can you, can you speak to that a bit? Like how does Chernobog factor in as a, as a, well, that's a problem. Uh, she is just kind of up there, do, you know, messing does with she... Gorbachev's head basically. But at, so, so Futur is, Futur is the one who created the poison that, that ultimately is, is, spilled on Gorbachev and fed to Stalin to turn him into a monster. And, yes, he leads the team. Right, yes. and he's inspired by Chernobog? She you is know, his patron? You know, really, they're competitors, ultimately. They're I guess. competitors? Well, what does Chernobog want? That, I, I haven't explored that. You're right. Okay. I, I don't know. All right. I yeah, because at first I thought we were dealing with a sort of uh, Sauron, Sauron relationship here with, with mm. Chernobog being the, the Sauron symbol uh that that could work well you know that actually so, nice that's nice yeah i think that is a good analogy because uh le futur certainly might cooperate with chernabog and probably should we should show, make that over but ultimately he's gonna want to face her down and beat her in the same way that saruman uh certainly was never going to serve right. sauron permanently right and, then, and so 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 le futur's goal then is to get the rest of this serum in order to play on the same level as Chernobog, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, why doesn't he just make more? Uh, the lab was destroyed, and he doesn't have the technical knowledge. There were other um, mad scientists cooperating. Okay. He's had 40 years to gather a team of scientists. Has he been trying to, or just going on the esoteric route and, and uh, I don't think it occurred to him it certainly didn't occur to him maybe it was well, made, <laughs> maybe it was made from meteor rock uh, you know some some highly rare one shot material and this is all yeah. you get well, a chunk of the moon a chunk of the moon something at you though so I, you gave me an idea there this, this might work for something because we're struggling here with where can we give Gorbachev a bigger role maybe that's his bigger role maybe he's the first time this has worked and he's, I hate to use this He's analogy, Captain America. He's, yeah, he's your Captain America. He's <laughs> your Wolverine. The reason it hasn't, like, what is it about Gorbachev that made it work with him and not work with anybody else? Is, is, I'm not asking you that question. I'm saying that's a general question that Le Futur has been wrestling with all this time. I've been dumping this crap on people's noggins for 40 years, and everyone just goes batshit crazy and their head explodes. How come, you know, ink stains over there is just fine? And, you know, I, it gives and him value. It gives him value, and, and it, Frederick, it gives you an opportunity to create insight into Gorbachev's character, because if we make it something about his character that yeah. works for him, and again, taking the, the Captain America metaphor, uh, yeah. you know, you could say that it was Captain America's uh, dedication and yep. pure heart or whatever. Uh, so perhaps there is some insecurity 
in Gorbachev that allows him to be overwhelmed by this that, in the course of his arc, he overcomes. Um, his his that, love as of... As far as I can go. <laughs> no, his love of <laughs> Mother time. Russia is his strength. Uh, uh, and and his his uh, ability that he is too humble and too too meager a person to actually you know affect or helm the leadership of so majestic a country as Russia, it, it constantly holds him back. So he becomes a slave to the poisons, uh, toxin, uh, weakening his will, driving him to dark, shadowy expressions of his fear and rage. Uh, uh, and until he sees Margaret Thatcher uh, uh, sacrificing herself, here's this backwards country, and yet still this backwards country with an airship for crying out loud is well, able to. Empire. Well, yes, exactly. Um, uh, but but seeing that noble sacrifice mm-hmm. of Thatcher uh, uh, shows him that no being is too humble to to affect great change, and that is his turning point that allows him to throw off the dark effects of the poison while using the empowering elements and mastering them for himself. Which then is the turning point, and now now we can now we can uh, uh, focus our attentions on the dark, sinister influences of Le Futur and, and Chernobog. Does that at all resonate with you, Fred? Wow. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm trying to absorb this, Matthew. I didn't hear what you said there. The last little bit that you interjected. Oh, just the fact that that not only is is the UK uh, a backwards country but it is an empire in decline. It's a symbol of everything Gorbachev is trying to prevent the Soviet yes. Union from becoming. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and if you want to get even weirder, and you may know this more than, than any of us, Frederick, uh, Thatcher's ancestry, uh, if you could find a connection that would give Gorbachev a, a personal connection to Thatcher, even if it's just, you know, that, that she has some some Russian blood in her. Hmm. Um, that he, you know, in his semi-deluded state, sees her as, as a lost daughter of Mother Russia. I mean, I'm rolling here. But, <laughs> but, but just, well, to find, just to find some more threads that kind of tie this together in a meaningful way to motivate uh, our, uh, our hero. Um, first of all, everything that you're tending toward is consistent with Gorbachev's character because he was, really was the last person who, in the Soviet system who had not given in to cynicism. Mm-hmm. And so I really like that. Um, I would say that there's going to be scenes where Gorbachev meets Thatcher and it's clear that he is in love with her. And okay, so you'll set he, that up ahead of time. Yeah, yeah and um, he understands ultimately that he's never going to be a rival to Reagan for her affection. So at the very end, when he says, I love you, he takes the place of Reagan. That's his uh, last, his, that's his one gift to her. So wait, we have a love triangle oh, with yeah, Thatcher, yeah, yeah. Reagan, and that's Gorbachev. Absolutely. Holy sure. crap. How could there not be a love triangle? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Awesome. I think that solves a lot of your problems, and I think it solves another problem that Matthew mentioned in a, in a very eloquent way. I like that earlier, which is that it, he doesn't have the pro. I think that gives him the pro. His pro isn't being a giant, you know, or having control of a giant bullet or an airship or anything like that. His pro is internal. 
his pro is a is a personality trait that so far I'm just I keep rescanning this thinking how can we make Gorbachev that protagonist that you want him to be or be a stronger mm-hmm. character and I think that's a big part of this because I'm going to connect with him now more than anyone else. Yeah, Over he's here, he's he's absolutely you know he's going to sacrifice anything, and and that's why he leaves the the space station and saves her and um uh there's a scene where they crash land in assisi reagan thinks that gorbachev is going to kill her reagan's bursting in and thatcher says oh gorbachev you go hide because because <laughs> reagan's going to kill you and then she piles a bunch of debris on top of herself and pretends to be unconscious and that allows Reagan to come in, uncover her, and quote-unquote save her life. And there's a scene where he's going to scoop her up in her arms. The, she's wearing a borrowed spacesuit, Soviet spacesuit, which is red. And the picture I have in mind is Rhett Butler holding uh, Scarlett O'Hara <laughs> as he lifts her out of... That would work better in a comic well, book or a movie than a novel, unfortunately. That's all right. That's all right. Let me, yeah. let me, let me invite an alternative to that scene because mm-hmm. we, we've just had uh, 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 a dramatic reversal. I mean, Gorbachev has just thrown off the effects of the poison mm-hmm. and, and has become the hero that we've hoped he would be uh, for the first part of the book. To have him go hide at that point... And not yeah, confront no, yeah, Reagan. Right. He, he needs to. Be, he he can he can leave the scene, but it has to be for a good, better reason, a more proactive reason. Well, and so I'd not, I'd rather not see him leave the scene at all. But let him. I mean, Reagan up to this point, I'm sure has been. I mean, he's the Iron Man. He's the Tony Stark. He's the bold. Blah 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 blah. He's been the hero, and he's probably been the dominant force of the relationship between. I'm sure Thatcher holds her own, but. I mean, Reagan in an Iron Man suit? Come on, that's <laughs> that's that's gonna that's gonna carry some some uh, uh, story weight there. Yep. Mm-hmm. And to have have Gorbachev demonstrate to the reader and in the story his newfound strength by confronting Reagan and saying, "No, I'm I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to fight you either. I have you know declare his strength and his love." And and let that conflict uh, uh, create uh, uh, an uneasy alliance that then we can explore Reagan's arc a little bit. And can you swallow your American pride uh, and and take a sacrifice for the larger global good? Uh, uh, and then we have the Scooby Gang together to f- combined at last to fight the true evil Chernabog and and her dark minion La Futur. I have I have some counter to that. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, first of all, the I do agree that 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 uh, Gorbachev needs to have uh, a more active role at that stage. It's a critical moment. Um, I I I think that if he declares his love at that moment, that's going to ruin your punchline at the end. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Bothers me. Good point. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but you know when I, when when uh, Frederick, when you described the the image of the the uh, armored Reagan, and I'm sure his armor is red, white, and blue, um, <laughs> uh, scooping up uh, Thatcher in her borrowed Soviet suit, 
It's only only so that it will be she'd be wearing red at that point, and of course well, exactly, it's torn. Exactly, you're setting, so up, there's... setting up a, a wonderful symbol where right. the United States is supporting the UK dressed like Russia. <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful symbol, and I don't think you should lose that. But, and I'm you know I'm, we're really getting down to the nitty gritty, and I'm not trying to write your story for you. But it would be wonder wonderful if to the reader. You know, we see Reagan feeling as every bit the hero. He is the star of his movie. Mm -hmm. He's the cowboy. And, but we get a little glimpse from Thatcher where she's just like, you know, okay, I'm fine. You can, you can put me down now. I'm cool. You know, (laughs) so it's, 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 it's diminished a little bit. And we, and we understand that Thatcher gets it and Reagan doesn't need to get it at that stage because he's the cowboy. He's the, he's the bullet. He's literally yep. a bullet. Yep. <laughs> you shoot him and he goes where he's supposed to go and he breaks something. Yep. Um, and the other thing, you know, by, by getting Gorbachev off the scene at that moment, you know, definitely don't have him run away. Don't go hide. It's, are you going to be all right? I have to go do this, whatever it is, some other, you know, clock that is ticking that he has to stop. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I think, um, you know, I like the, the whole Scooby team idea. It, it sounds fun, but I don't think, I think there's too much antagonism in these three personified countries between each other. Um, you know, that they're going to suddenly have this comic book moment of, ah, now that we've all fought, we're going to go off and we had our team up fight. Now we have our team up. You know, (laughs) I am a little concerned that, yeah, how do you get Gorbachev to quickly say to Reagan, sorry that I tried to blow up your country. I'm I'm a different person now. So, well, uh, I don't think he necessarily has to apologize. He doesn't have to apologize. He shouldn't apologize. Uh, Then I'm then I'm I guess a little more information would really help me. Circumstances will show Reagan, you know, when they're all confronting the real bad guys. Oh, I see. So, So we delay that. Yeah, he's yeah, right. been, he's been out of his mind for the last you know forty years. Yeah. Talk, um, talk, talk is cheap. You can you can say whatever you want. Let him demonstrate. Mm. Let him take action uh, uh, to repair what has the wrongs that he has inflicted uh, upon the world and upon his international relations. Uh, uh, and then, uh, having done so, he can stand on an even stronger moral ground when the ultimate confrontation comes to pass. Mm-hmm. So. All right, gentlemen, I'm, I'm looking at the time winding down here, and uh, what I'd like to do is, is take one more turn around the table. Uh, uh, any, any concepts or ideas that we didn't get a chance to, to, to bring out in conversation, here's your chance to, to just lay them on the table for Fred to pick up or not. Uh, uh, words of wisdom to impart to him as he goes off to write this this epic surreal experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, anything that we can give him now to 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 send him off with pockets full of literary gold. Uh, uh, Matt, we'll start with you, sir. Final final words, observations, and suggestions to Fred. I have a couple of things. I think they're more suggestions than anything else. Uh, this is a an exercise that I try to keep front of mind, um, rather than. You know, it, it's easy to come up with a, an elevator pitch where you explain what the story, what happens in the story. Um, try to come up with a sentence that is not 
that, uh, that describes what the story is about, a sentence that describes what the story is about without using anything that happens in the story. And that will be sort of your thematic compass as you're figuring out the actual events that happen in the story. That will guide uh, how these characters react and how they serve the story. Um, and uh, that's something that I try to do, and it, it can be challenging because, you know, so often we think of all these cool ideas and we, we you know, uh, I think it was... Uh, um, uh, I forget who said it earlier, but... Uh, uh, might have been Dave. That it felt like a lot of ideas strung together uh, that make great images. Um, the way to string those images together is to keep in mind what the story is about over the things that happen. Um, and the other thing is that struck me as we've been talking about this. Uh, you know, yes, it's a lovely uh, uh, this this sort of not even alternate history, just, you know, uh, uh, fantastical history um, based thematically in, in, in real life. Um, but you've got, you know, we've gone to Oz here, really. Yeah, big time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a universe of metaphors. Um, and don't be afraid to, to, uh, to, to let those characters wear those metaphors on their sleeves, yeah. even if it might run counter to what the real historical person might do. Um, let the characters serve the story and let the story be defined by that, uh, that first tip that I, that I, that I had for you. Um, okay. yeah, I think that's, that would be my main, main thing. Excellent. Outstanding. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Thank Ryan, you, what about you, sir? I, I want to echo firstly what Matt just said, because I agree with all of that. I was sitting here nodding, thinking, damn, he keeps taking my stuff. <laughs> uh, um, and that, I agree with all of that. I would also encourage you to expand on the idea of, you know, what is the story about? Can you describe it without actions? But keep, keep that sense of fun in here when you're writing this, when you're actually sitting down to do this. Because um, I, I keep rereading over and over these notes you, that I wrote while you were giving your pitch. And I think to myself, this just sounds like fun. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's a purity that's hard to, to keep, I personally believe. You're gonna, you, you know, when I sit down to write something like this, I start out and, oh, man, is it ever fun. But by the end, I've got all this heavy emo BS that's just laden it all down, and it, didn't, it stopped being about that, that childish sense of fun that, you, uh, that I've got for this story right now. So, so do your best to maintain that because you're really struck on something really cool and neat here. Um, the other thing is that I think you, you, you and you alone need to sit down and say to yourself, okay, I need to pick my pony. Who's going to be my pro tag? Who's going to be my antag? And, uh, I, I'm going to admit that I think you've converted me. I think that you can make Gorbachev <laughs> your protagonist. When you were Good. done your pitch, I would have argued the crap out of that. Uh, but you've, I'm, I'm a converted man. I'm from mother Russia now for me. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, <Awesome. Ryan>. mm -hmm. <laughs> very cool. Um, for myself, Fred, I, I remember when your your guest query uh, uh, landed in my yeah. inbox, and and I read this, and I'm going, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" <laughs> um, I, on the one hand, it was utterly, "Oh my god, that's so awesome!" And then on the other hand, it's like, "But how does that work?" And and I, 
Fred, you, you've you've cra- crafted for yourself an epic, epic challenge, and I, and I think heroes uh, define themselves by the scope of the challenges they set for themselves. In which case, you are a goddamn hero, Fred, because this is this is there are you have four stories, four themes, four elements. I think going on here. One, it's it's completely absurdism. And and I mean that in the literary sense, not in it's completely absurd, throw it out. I mean, there's 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 literally uh, you know, there's there's Dali, there's Salvador Dali with folded drooping clocks in here and, and <laughs> yep. caterpillars and stuff. There is the metaphor of the countries, the 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 Reagan, Thatcher, Gorbachev embodying their countries and and literally enacting the histories of their countries that in history were enacted by hundreds of thousands of people, but in the story, they're enacting that. Then you've got the history because you've done so much history on the Cold War and you're weaving that in. And then you've got a cartoon where these people are becoming masked vigilantes and, and armored heroes. And it seems like you're working a lot of themes trying to make all of them work together. And I'm not saying that they can't. Uh, one thing that, that occurred to me, you know, Matt invoked Adams and I would also invoke Pratchett, uh, in the context of the type of story you're telling, because Pratchett throws in some very absurd, extreme exaggerations in his stories as well. Mm -hmm. But in all of these, you know, in, in Hitchhiker's Guide, we had Arthur Dent and we cared about him and we followed his story. Um, in, in the Discworld series, there's, uh, Pratchett does a wonderful job of creating compassion for a range of, uh, not a range of characters, but a cluster of characters that through the story somehow ultimately weave together and come together in a very satisfying ending. Yeah. And and I can see all of this happening, but it, it's, you know, I'm glad you, you have a musical background. Uh, I'd also <sighs> like to add choreography into this as well, because it's going to have to be a very measured, paced, choreographed event. Um, and, and, you know, outlining and structuring the evolution and the pacing of the story, I think is going to be critical to making this work for your readers. Does that make sense at all? Yes, it does. Okay. I think, um, I think I can comprehend, uh, the direction I need to go. And it's, it's, it's gotta be Gorbachev and I've got from beginning go. to end, you've got to understand him come to know him and really in the end be rooting for him and Absolutely. make him proactive and make him pro uh, yes He's by by pro. what he does yes yeah, yeah. well fred thank you so much yeah. as, as i said it's never easy to to put your baby up here and i know we've 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 kind of kicked her around a little bit but i think i think she's come out stronger and, and clearer and brighter than than when she came in so so thank you so much for for offering up your story we appreciate that sir Thank you to all three of you. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Excellent. Now, when you write this bad boy, you mm. know the deal. We will you yep. you write this bad boy, you publish it out there in whatever form you want, and we will have you back and we will knight you. Or in your case, maybe we'll make you a, a member of the Roundtable Politburo. I don't know which. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in some way we will we will we will ensconce you in in the saintly uh, uh, niches of the Cathedral of the Roundtable and make sure that everyone knows your grand accomplishments, sir. 
I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> As are we. Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew, thank you so much, sir, for your enthusiasm, your commitment to the workshop, and the infusion of writerly goodness that you gave. We, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate it, sir. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun uh, on my end as well. I hope I was helpful. <laughs> I have no doubt. I, I have a better idea of the story through the discussion. I, I, I don't think I, I think I speak for everyone. When I say that, <laughs> uh, Ryan, sir, thank yes, you sir. as always for, for your, your wing manage. Uh, uh, well done. I, I am grateful to you, sir. No problem. <laughs> and dear friends, as long as we're slinging gratitude, gratitude and respect to you for hitting that play button, you really complete this circuit for us. And, and I'm sure that, that somebody out there in our listenership is going, yeah, but you totally overlooked this very cool historical <laughs> yep. aspect. And if that is the case, then when this post goes up, that comment section underneath is your playground. Continue the discourse after we stop recording and let the discussion continue. I'll make sure Fred knows when comments hit the, hit the post so that he can come back and uh, we can continue the workshop with your own ideas, which would be awesome. So, uh, well, thank you, friends. Thank you, dear guest hosts, guest co-hosts, and guest writers. Um, I know that we're all sitting here going, wow, that was, that was staggeringly awesome. Uh, uh, but it doesn't end here. This, this particular chapter of the roundtable may be closing, uh, but next, in just a few days, friends, it starts all over again. New guest hosts. Courageous guest writers returning with their story ideas. We continue our search for literary gold. Until then, look for us on Twitter at Writers Podcast. Look for us on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. Uh, and in general, just for the next couple of days, Ryan, what do you think? You know me, man. I say stay hydrated. You got to keep that water in your system. You can't write. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Stay hydrated. Keep your pen and your body full of that precious, precious fluid. Mm -hmm. Brian, uh, a newborn father that he is, uh, uh, would still admonish you in his, in his sleep-deprived state to go right. <laughs> and I will tell you, dear friends, that you find what you're looking for. So do yourself a favor. Look for awesome. Look for wow. Look for blue label top shelf goodness, and you will find it. We will see you in just a couple of days. Until then, man, stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.